We're in the midst of trying times. The coronavirus is continuing to spread and more areas are being affected. But this isn't a time to run and hide. Aggressive people are forged by fire and make no mistake about it. We're in the fight and in the fire right now. This is a special bonus episode meant to encourage and steal you toward healthy aggression when the world needs it most. My name is Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Well, for the first time since 9-11, America is united against a common enemy. This time, it's a virus. Our war on COVID-19, the coronavirus has multiple fronts. And uh, over the past few episodes and next couple episodes, we're just trying to talk with people who are thick in it. People who have been in medicine, people who have been, uh, well, today in government, businesses all over the place. And my hope for these episodes is just trying to pull the veil of the curtain back a little bit and see what people are like in an industry that might not be your industry, to hear people's stories that might not actually be your story, and actually to interact on some topics we might not normally be able to interact with. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm chomping the bit today. I am, I'm chomping the bit today because I'm gonna get to ask all the things I've wanted to ask of a politician, because I'll tell you what, I'm not a happy camper right now. I am not, I'm not understanding some of the decisions around the virus that are being made by politicians. And uh, today we've got a guest who's actually a good friend of mine. At the age of 27, he became the youngest person ever elected to the Cincinnati City Council. He's been in that position since 2011. He's the odds-on favorite to become the next mayor of Cincinnati. I know I've just declared it that way, but just about everybody you talk to around Cincinnati, just a, a good number of people say, hey, he's probably gonna be the next mayor. He's a young guy who's got a lot of good stuff going on ahead of him. I'm very, very thankful for him. His name is P.G. Sittenfeld. Welcome, P.G., to The Aggressive Life. Brian, thank you for having me. Uh, big fan of the podcast. And I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your, uh, your tough questions, take the heat from you today. But I do just want to say, starting out, I mean, obviously, people are looking toward elected leaders in a time of pandemic and a time of crisis. But um, I think we also need and lean on our spiritual leaders more than almost we have probably ever have before. And I just want you know your your listeners uh, to know that in addition to considering you an awesome friend, you and Crossroads have had um, a great impact on my life. Uh, folks probably don't know that uh, the last time I held my hand on the Bible and took the oath of office to get sworn in to my role as an elected official for the city of Cincinnati, you did me the honor of holding the Bible. And um, we may you may or may not decide you want to get into it today, but I think Crossroads had a not insignificant role in how I um, ended up actually meeting my. My wife, the mother of our son. So if that's something we venture back to, but I just want to upfront say thanks for having me on the podcast, but thanks for you know what you do, what you mean to me and to Cincinnati too. Uh, PG, this is not called the flattery life. It's called the aggressive <laughs> well, life. Get but, aggressive. Let's go. But no, but I appreciate that. Thank, th- thank you very much. I remember that day when you were getting sworn in. That was a big honking Bible. What was the story in that Bible? I think it was the biggest Bible I've ever held in my hands. I have a Bible I've had since a li- uh, I was a little kid and it is just in scale it's a modest Bible. Obviously, all the same words are in it as in a big Bible, but, and it says my name engraved on it, literally had it since I was, you know, a tiny little kid. But I was thinking for actually getting sworn into office, you kind of want a Bible with some girth and some heft. 
So your buddy, uh, who I actually I really enjoyed the podcast when you had Chris Seelbach on. It was interesting hearing you guys go back and forth. Um, he has this like huge family Bible that honestly I think you could get a Brian Tome uh, weightlifting workout just lifting this Bible <laughs> around. So I'm like, hey, rather than my rinky-dink little Bible, which I love, can we use your massive like <laughs> macho man Bible? So I borrowed it from him, and that, that was the story behind the big honking Bible that you kindly uh, kindly uh, swore. <laughs> True. So uh, before we jump into all things coronavirus, as if we're not sick of them already, but yeah. I'm going to give some fresh stuff today. I think I, I think yeah, I got some fresh questions for you. Just give us a brief, brief thumbnail of like, why are you in politics? How, how, did, how did that happen? I think like the, the big picture and admittedly sappy sounding part of it is that um, I believe that government government, that public service can still be a noble calling. It is not lost on me at all that people feel frustrations with their elected officials and it too often looks and feels like a food fight. But I also know, because I've had some of them, on a good day, you can change people's lives for the better in a meaningful way. That's not unique to government service, but to me, it's an arena that I always kind of felt called to. One quick story that I've told over the years, but feels resonant at this moment, the moment when I think for the first time, I sort of said in my own head, I'm running for office. I was working for an education nonprofit called the Community Learning Center Institute. And I go to testify for the first time in my life in front of the existing city council about the importance of nurses inside of schools. And I go down there and half of them are like on their phone, not paying attention. And I think I thought to myself at the moment, I'm going to replace one of you in the next election. And sure enough, I did. <laughs> so it was, uh, but I mean, I think, I think Cincinnati, I mean, is a great city and a special place. Obviously, you have contributed so much to what this city is and how it's grown. But I see we're on this sort of collective project and this collective pursuit where can, can we make this a city that's truly for all of us? And I think too much, this has not been a city for marginalized communities. If you're black, if you're brown, if you're poor, if something makes you feel like an outsider. And this is where I want to sort of deploy myself so that no matter who you are, no matter what your life background is, you look at our city and you say, this place belongs to me. I'm wanted here. I'm welcome here. So here's the big word. Coronavirus. Yeah, geez. Coronavirus. I, I, I know you're going to speak for yourself, PG. You can't speak for all people who are in public service, all people making decisions. But I'm going to have to. I'm going to do some a little venting with you here, Please. and I'm going to see if you can give me some perspective on things that I don't know. I've been dying to ask you. The current mayor of Cincinnati, Mayor Cranley, at his press conference. Gosh, what was that? Two months ago, whenever it was. That was really the the shot across the bow of this is going to be a big deal. His exact words were, "No matter what you think you know about the coronavirus, it's worse." He had just gotten off the a phone call with the governor. I don't know if you were in on that whole conversation or not, but that like rung out to me. No matter what you think you've known, which at that point we knew a lot because we were all binging our news feeds, it's worse. Right. Is there information that we don't know right now, like normal people like me, that's causing some of the drastic decisions that our governing officials have been making? I think at this point, because this has obviously hit like a tsunami and 
some communities were more prepared than others. You know, different communities have dealt with this in different ways. But because this has been such a 24-7 saturation, it's obviously left a lot of economic carnage in, in addition to the health and physical toll it's taken. I think that the community is pretty darn fluent right now. So I actually, I wouldn't say that as we sit here and as we, you and I record this podcast, that there is some like, you know, massive next surprise that's coming. And that's why I think you're starting to see tensions about when do we quote, reopen up the economy sort of is, is healthcare pitted against the sort of economic stability. So I actually think that folks are, are pretty grounded in the facts at this point, and they're interpreting them somewhat differently. I mean, I will tell you where I come down, and this is as someone where the city of Cincinnati has had to make very difficult decisions relative to our own workforces. I have friends who have lost their jobs. I mean, you know, this, there's no one who this hasn't touched, but I feel pretty fundamentally that we cannot have um, – economic health until we have public health. So I just think we want both, but we have to make sure we're getting the sequencing right. So uh, before I poke at that statement, that's a good statement, but before I poke at that, just let's go back to the history. How long were, were you personally aware of the seriousness of the coronavirus um, before you know, that press conference. Yeah, was I, this something brewing for you or where were you on no, it? No, I mean, I, I, this was not something I felt like flat-footed about, I would say, I mean, in part because, you know, we saw what was happening in China. Um, you know, I mean, na- even the local news wasn't as latched on to it at the time. The national news was doing early coverage. So I remember conversations before, well before this was on our doorstep with city manager Dehaney, with Melba Moore, the health commissioner for the city of Cincinnati, where I would call them and say, what do you need? Like, how would you assess our level of preparedness? And I think the question was never, is this going to hit? It's when it hits, how prepared are we? So I would ask them questions, you know, what's our stock of PPE, personal protective equipment, things like that. And, you know, I think it's difficult because this has done a lot of damage. But in terms of where we are at this moment, I would rather have been Cincinnati and the state of Ohio than a whole lot of other communities around the country. And I think it's because we've taken a relatively proactive approach and had relatively good plans, good discipline in place for preparedness. Now, I sense you might not 100% agree, but most folks know this through the lens of what they've experienced on the ground. And I would rather be, you know, a city of Cincinnati in today than in New York or so many of these other places that have gotten hit that much harder. Right. What do you think is the hardest decision you've had to make or the decision where you would have thought, I can't believe we would ever make that decision, but you did. Yeah, look, this was a little bit um, controversial sort of within city hall circles, just as I know, you know, as the leader of your um, flock at Crossroads, they're your extended family, right? I mean, you care about everybody, but you especially care about the people who you're charged with leading. I feel the same way about the 6,000 people who work for the city of Cincinnati. So um, we announced not too long ago, pretty massive furloughs uh, between part-time and full-time. You're talking about nearly 1,700 people. Think about 1,700 people and their families being told, you're being furloughed, You know, the future of your job might be, uh, might be relatively uncertain. And I said pretty publicly, this was at odds with the direction that the mayor and the city manager felt we needed to go. I feel like you all are treating what should be the last case, sort of worst case scenario, as the first case scenario and a sort of option A. So it's been it's been difficult. Wait, 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 hold on. What does that mean? I don't understand. The last case scenario as the first case I, scenario. I, I, I feel like um, imperiling the job, the livelihood, the morale of your workforce 
is the last thing you want to do. And I kind of felt like some of my fellow leaders at City Hall went there sort of first rather than last. And I feel like uh, some folks were operating with a level of haste and quick decision making that sometimes even in a crisis – Taking a beat to say, are we getting this right, to me would have been preferable. And I'm not, I'm not convinced the city did that to the fullest. Yeah, my questions for all of our governing leaders really aren't in relationship to anything that's happened up to this point. Because what I would like to tell people is all of us as leaders are making this up. We're all making it up. I don't care if you're a leader in business, if you're a leader in a nonprofit, if you're a leader in government, none of us ever had a course that said how to deal with the first pandemic of your lifetime. <laughs> you know, no, no one ever has. We're all we're all making calls. No, I forgot. I forgot to t- I forgot to take that class. When was it offered? Yeah, I, know, yeah. I don't know when it was offered, but I know there was things I said in the early stages or way back when that I was like, oh my gosh, that's awful to say. Like I. I saw something I saw on a video clip and 24 hours later, I was like, that's an awful thing to say because my whole perspective changed in 24 hours and I deleted it. And there's things that I'm doing now that I would have never thought that I would have done before because, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just not prepared. So as far as I'm concerned, every governing official up to this point has done a great job. Every governing official has gotten it right because they're all right, left, Republican, Democrat, federal government, local government. Everybody's trying to serve their communities. Everybody is, and and nobody has anyone to go to school on. So yeah, look, in, um, unless someone was alive in 1918, 1920, which was basically none of us, right? Um, then right, we've never seen anything on this scale at this level. I mean, you talk about you know uh, nearly a thousand people dying in New York in in a given day. You talk about 17 million people going on unemployment benefits. The shears, I mean, honestly, you, you do, I feel like the natural disaster equivalent is a tsunami, except frankly, this is lasting longer than a tsunami. So you're right. I mean, we haven't seen anything. That being said, and I know you're, uh, you know, you, you no need to be gentle on elected officials, not that you necessarily would, even though there was no course for this, I do think there are ways of doing it better and there are ways of doing it worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll learn from that. We'll all get better. But I just I just have amazing grace for any anybody leading in any sector right now, because everybody is in over their head. You know, uh, now, having said that. I am confused about where we go in the future. Why is it that we can't be told what to expect in the future? Why is it that we can't be told, here's the layering of what we'll be rolling out? We're in this perpetual in-between land. And, and if I could go on a rant, well, before I go, before I go on a rant, why can't the governor say, well, this one you can go to a bar again. Then after that, this one you're going to be able to get your hair cut again. And then this is when, why, why can we not have some sense? They, they, you guys have to know something you can tell us. Yeah, I think it's, One, as you said, this is a new and in our lifetime unprecedented situation. And two, it's a fluid situation, right? So all of our collective behavior today influences what the world, what's our state, what our communities are actually going to look like two weeks from now, four weeks from now. That being said, what I do think is fair, and I think you're going to start to see more of this happen, is, okay, what are all the things we need to do? Brian Tome needs to go get a haircut. P.G. Sittenfeld wants to go catch an FC Cincinnati game. You know, people want to take their spouse out for a meal. Under what set of conditions do we need to establish 
so that that's doable, right? Because even if if Mike DeWine said tomorrow, I'm lifting this the stay at home orders, would 26,000 people go sit next to each other in Nippert Stadium just because the governor said you're allowed to? So I think we're going to be looking at until we get to uh, of you know widely available uh, proven vaccination, which you know the experts. I try and have a lot of deference to people who have expertise. You know, 18 months, 16 months to 18 months from now. I think thinking about in this new normal, if you want to take your lovely bride to go have fried chicken at the Eagle, maybe when you go in there, a new thing is there is a new job of temperature taker and they do the little laser thermometer on your forehead. Okay, you then go into the Eagle and rather than sitting three feet apart from another couple because they want to pack everyone in as densely as possible, maybe the restaurant is at 60 percent capacity. So I agree with you. I think starting to establish what are the new rules of the road that let us get back to quasi normal, that let us function. I think leaders communicating what those are, it's getting more and more timely. Okay, we've had the virus has been killing um, a lot of people. Every life is important to God. Every life is valuable. Every loss is painful. For sure, I'm a a pastor, I'm pro-life, pro all kinds of life, you know, um, including people who are dying of the coronavirus. That having been said, why can't we say right now all of you who are elderly, all of you have pre-existing medical conditions, and all of you who are just a little freaked out about it. Okay, all of you stay home. All of you quarantine. All you wait, wait till the herd, the herd immunization gets up. You, you gotta, but the rest of us, we wanna get back to our life. We have to have a country for you to come back to. Why can't we do that right now? Well, I think that you will see, I think as a sort of, again, whatever you want to call it, a new normal, a quasi-normal starts to emerge. I think that people who are younger, healthier, who maybe have already gotten coronavirus and, you know, bounced back strong and perhaps now have given immunities because they've been exposed to it, will integrate faster into normal life. But older, you know, folks with, you know, over 65, folks with pre-existing underlying conditions will be encouraged to do what you're saying. I think the one challenge is um, we are still such an interconnected community, right? So I've been doing, since this really started, I've been doing all of the grocery shopping for my parents. Um, we, and look, I want to hug my mother, right? Like, like, like any yeah, yeah. son would. I haven't hugged my mother in, you know, in two months or however long it's been. Time kind of blurs together. But even as I'm going to drop off groceries for them, you know, do I, uh, did I pick up, uh, germs or whatever in the grocery store that are then still on the groceries when I'm handing them off. So I just think it is difficult in the world we live in to completely sequester people, to completely quarantine people. And the one other thing, Brian, I would say that I'm thinking a lot about this, you know, we need our physical health. We also need our mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual health. So I just, I think even as we think about, okay, uh, older adults, you will be the last folks that we kind of transition back into normal society. We don't just want to sort of socially and civically cut off an entire demographic. So it's not to say you're not basically right, but I just think really thinking through how do we make sure that we're still getting them not just the health safety that they need, but also the emotional nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that they need. Because if you lose those things, that can kill you too. The, the, the one other health point, just with my wife as a physician, I do need to make is that, and, and um, my, my, you know. I might say this too, PG. I, um, those who are newer listeners. Uh, one of the things about aggressive life, poor PG makes his thing, is 
The reason I talk this way is I want to aggressively make sure someone understands where I'm coming from. So when I do that, I'm looking forward to you shooting it down. I'm looking forward to you telling me something I don't know. If I just kind of beat around the bush, say, what about this? I'm not going to get your best reasoning. I'm not going to get your best thinking. So I'm stating things very forcefully, and I'm happy to be wrong. I'm stating them forcefully so I can understand. So go ahead. Hit your, hit your other thing, uh, PG. Brian, we, we, we all know and love your charming bedside manner. We wouldn't want it any any uh, other way. You're, 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 you're my pastor, man. We wouldn't want it any way other than, uh, other than aggressive. So but, the, but the one thing to come back to is that obviously if folks are – overloading our healthcare system because of coronavirus, it's not as though every other ailment, every other illness was put on hold, right? So I might be a young person with some sort of condition that has nothing to do with coronavirus, but if the ICU is full, if every ventilator is taken up, then you know it can still ripple across the entire system, which is why I just think, again, it's, it is really difficult to balance doing what's right for public health when we're seeing the impact of that be mass layoffs, people losing right, not right. just their livelihood, but their sense of dignity, their sense of pride that they get up to go to work to do this job. So it's a balancing act, but I think keep, and I know it's become almost cliche, but the whole notion of flattening the curve and not getting above this threshold where the entire system is overwhelmed and then all of us could suffer as a result of it. Okay, so you think my the idea that I had, you think it's just too soon for that idea or you think, think that idea too, is a bad idea, period? No, I think it's too soon. I think you're going to see some version of that. I think we will, you know, whatever the right terminology is, restart, reopen our economy, restart, reopen society, sort of in rolling waves where, again, before the restaurant, the stadium, the, the whatever it is, is at 100 percent capacity, it'll be at 40 percent capacity and then 70 percent capacity. And before you and I just waltz in there, someone's going to scan our forehead and take our temperature. Um, so I think I think you are headed in the right direction, but it's going to have to be done slowly and cautiously. And look, I, I, you know, I do exist in a sort of political realm. This is, there's not a part partisanship in this moment. I think it's been one of the things that's been refreshing is people rising above what both in life, but especially in politics is just too much unnecessary divisiveness, too much petty politics. And I will be the first person to say that the way that um, Dr. Acton and Mike DeWine, I'm a Democrat, Mike DeWine is a Republican. I think the way he's done things in a measured, slow way of saying, we're not going to lurch from A to B. We're actually going to insert, you know, five little steps between A and B to kind of, you know, acclimate people to it. I think that's the way we've gone into this. And I think it's going to be the way we come out of it too. Yeah, I was in a, I had a meeting with our, our leadership team this morning. I was, it was actually my, uh, my second call of the day, my second Zoom call. Can we all just say Zoom is awesome and Zoom sucks at the same time? <laughs> but we have a guy on staff who, um, has worked with um, the Justice Department. He's been an, an assistant DA, pretty smart guy. And he he said to me, he said to us way back when that this was going to shut our country down. And this was like, I don't know, I don't know, he probably said it five, six months ago, four months ago, so long time. And we all laughed at him like, <laughs> so funny, so that's ridiculous, that's ridiculous. Now we know he, he was right. Now he's saying that he thinks it'll be a year and a half until Crossroads could actually meet as we used to meet. Because, you know, as you start unrolling restrictions, you start saying, okay, restaurants, go have some beers, sit in a whatever. 
the threshold to have 2,000 people in the same room together, that's going to be a long way off, which is why there's talk about, you know, Major League Baseball, NFL canceling and all that kind of stuff. Tell me that's a ridiculous prediction or tell me that could be right. Because either way, this I'm saying, I need to know. I need to start being able to plan to help our city. I need to start being able to divide up our labor and change things in our structure. That This is the thing like, okay, if, the, if DeWine or somebody is saying, it's probably you're, I'm not going to kick and scream. I'm just going to go, okay, thank you. You finally helped me help your people who are residents of Ohio and Kentucky, whatever. So, but tell me what your, your take on it. Here's what I would say. I think whenever anyone's talking about 18 months to really getting back to normal, I think they're basically referring to the time horizon until we can probably get to a vaccine where you know we can create that herd immunity. But I listened to your words very carefully there. He's not saying crossroads can't meet, crossroads can't do its thing. It's just what does it look like? So instead of you walking out and you know it, everybody is sitting in their nice cush seats, you know, plunked one next to each, to each other, you might actually be adding a service. Maybe you add two services because everyone is sitting every third seat. And the wonderful greeters who make people smile as they walk in, maybe part of that job is that they're taking someone's temperature so that if someone seems like they could be vulnerable or, or have something that could infect others. So I think Crossroads and FC Cincinnati and the Reds and restaurants and all the stuff that really pulls us together as a community, it's gonna be back, it's gonna be back in person, but it's not gonna look exactly like it did before. And that's okay, and that, that's something that we do collectively need to get used to. Look, when I come to Crossroads, I wanna hold the hand of the person next to me, right? Like you wanna feel that togetherness. You wanna physically feel that togetherness. That's gonna be missing a little bit more. Does that mean that I wouldn't rather still go to Crossroads in person when the time is appropriate and when the conditions are appropriate? I'd rather that than, like you said, Zoom's kinda awesome, Zoom kinda sucks. I want the real thing as much as as much as much is um, appropriate from a healthcare standpoint. For the record, we never have people holding hands at Crossroads. That's a very touchy-feely thing. You will never have to hold a stranger's hand. Just, you you, you, you might to. like to, PG, but I don't like holding <laughs> stranger's hands. I've, I've, I've held some hands at Crossroads, Brian. I also just want to say, anyone, any, anyone who held my hand, they did so voluntarily, I did so voluntarily, yeah. Well, this, but this is, I mean, it sounds, it, it, that sounds, okay, that's reasonable, but it's, it's really not that doable. So if we've got a... Say, say what's, what's your, yeah. is, your, is, your, is your nervousness about not knowing or is it about not liking what that known seems I, to be. I, I, I'm not personally wedded at all to, oh, let's get back to have seven minute, 70 minute services. We're all in a physical environment. I like that. I think that's effective, but um, I'm just not liking the in-between and the uncertainty. So like you, what you just said sounds like, oh yeah, okay. So people space out a little bit and there's a, hey man, when you got, we have sites that for a service, there's 2000 people streaming in. We, first of all, we know that people want to come to church at around the 10 o'clock time slot on a Sunday. So you can have service at one o'clock in the afternoon, just no one's going to come, or at least not the, they're, they're not going to come. So then what right. do we do? You come in, we're going to say, well, we've got to sp- space you out three, three apart. So what's that mean? We're going we're gonna to take the first 500, and we're really actually going like, to lock the doors, count people when they come in. Uh, we're, we're actually going to be able to have people coming masses in and have a log jam, checking everybody's forehead. In a restaurant situation, I could see that, but in our situation, 
I can't see that at all, let alone what does this mean for all the toys in Kids Club? We're gonna be scrubbing down every toy in every room between every service and like we're really gonna be able to do that. I mean, it, it's just very, very complex, these ideas for our situation. But let me I just give you, let me give you my kind of aggressive challenge here. Yeah. I do think that there's such a yearning right now, right? People, people have a yearning to get back to their sense of what was normal. But I also think, you know, one of the things that this has laid bare is we always, you know, mankind is always guilty of thinking that we are much more in control than we are. And we've seen the ways in which we're not in control. And I just do think that a sense, even people that don't um, consider themselves religious, consider themselves spiritual, I think that even if they wouldn't articulate in this way, people are looking for some spiritual anchoring. So yes. I actually yes. think for a nationally leading uh, uh, community like Crossroads to figure out the logistical side yes. of this is really important because we want to plug in. And look, I, maybe I'm an, an anomaly where to me, you know, joining a, a church service streaming, it just doesn't give me the same resonance as if I'm there in person feeling the community. Now, obviously, I don't want to do that until it is appropriate from a public health perspective to do so. But I think the challenge for leaders like you is to say, how can we get this right? Because people need the spiritual anchoring more, not less than we did before this. Yeah, that, uh, I, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm so with figure you on it that. out, Tom. Come on, well, man. <laughs> well, that is, that's a thing. I can't figure it out unless governing officials start giving us information. I, having sp- spending staff resources and financial resources to take a look at three or four different models of which we're only going to need one is an exercise nobody wants to do. I, I will figure it out. I will. I will go at some point. You guys have got to start telling business owners and others like what what kind of stuff we're looking at. That that's right. the thing that I'm when I say you guys. I'm saying people who are in power. I'm the, I'm not in a power. You know that's that's what I'm longing for and. We could, I think the, the, the shape of the church is very flexible. Come on, let's be serious here. You know, pastoring is my day job. The, the podcast thing is a night gig, even though we're recording right now at <laughs> one eighteen in the afternoon. Um, but, you know, the movement of Jesus has never been wedded to sound systems and light systems and, right. and hazers and misters. You know, we use all those things. It's great. The movement of Jesus has never even been wedded to buildings, okay? And we use buildings. So I'm not concerned about how our church functions. I just need to know how it needs to function, and I need to have some parameters sooner than later. Um, and I and think we, I'm— that, Look, as, as one among many elected officials, you know, my jurisdiction of the city of Cincinnati— we will give as, as I mean, I think in a crisis situation, it's communicate as clearly as possible, as quickly as possible, as compassionately as possible, as transparently as possible, and do it sort of, you know, frequently in real time. Um, we will continue to do that. It would be a disservice to say this is exactly what it's going to be six weeks from now because we don't know that. Like you said, we're all responding to something we've never seen before. So it's a fluid situation. I think the best we can do is share what we know as we know it. All right. Give me your guesstimate here. And even if you want to give me this and then we cut it out of the podcast because you want to go. This, you're going <laughs> to going to pastor me. Seriously. If you were in my leadership team. What would you guess? And you're just one city council member. That'd be a big big promotion. No, I know. You're one city council member. You're not the mayor of Cincinnati. You're not the governor of Ohio. You're not the president. So this is just like two dudes talking here. If you were in my shoes, how long until you think there would be people in a building on a Sunday? Help me plan. 
based on what we know today, I would say, and we are we are recording this here in the middle of April. Uh, I would say that uh, April, May, June, July. I would aspirationally like to think that in July, under a new set of circumstances, some form of in-person community mm. can come together. Is it going to be, you know, what Crossroads was six months ago where you're jamming thousands of people in there and it's all cozy? No, but do I think that there can be um, in-person pastoring to a meaningful group of people um, just in a, in a different set of circumstances by July? That would be my aspirational mm. hope. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. As- I would also- aspirational by July, you're saying aspirational. Yeah, look, I some would for, some form aspirational by. If you if you told me you were going to even even while being spaced out get you know 500 people in crossroads in June, I'd say from a public health standpoint that sounds a little soon. Sorry if that's being bearer of bad news. No, but dude, I think- not, no, 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 that's not bearer of bad news at all. Any news is good news just because it's news. Right, right, right. <laughs> there's, there's no answer you could give that would have bummed me out because I can adjust with any of them. I just need to know, you know, so or have some sense of so – actually, that's uh, – we're going to end this little call and I'm going to call and, my and, thing. And, yeah, on a hopeful – but I also – Brian, I also think that you will, like I said, rather than going from where we are today to what I just described, I think that there will be about – 15 little steps along the way. So you will, you will know the direction that things are yeah. headed. All right, PT, this has been great. Any, anything else you want to talk about or say that we haven't talked about yet? Look, I, I just, you know, for folks to reach out directly to me at City Hall, if there's something large or small, I can try and be helpful with. Um, we are navigating this together. There are a lot of unknowns, but I want to be a resource of information. If there are specific things relative to, you know, the things that the city is still very much doing, right? Basic services, police, fire, trash, water. Um, you know, I, I just I want to be there to support, you know, my community, our community uh, in terms of what City Hall does. I also want to be able to be there um, to support our city emotionally, right? So uh, I would just say to, to let your many, many listeners uh, lean on me in whatever form uh, is useful to them. Uh, PG, if, if people want to follow you, if they want to catch up, pick up with what you're doing, what you're doing, how can they do that? Um, social media, I think all of my handles are at PG Sittenfeld, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, uh, PG.Sittenfeld at Cincinnati-OH.gov is my city hall email address if we can be helpful with something and never hesitate to be in touch, especially now that your listeners have heard how much I am just missing people. Call me. I'll be delighted. <laughs> I want to hear from you. Uh, PG, you're doing a great job for us as a city and uh, you've done a great job for us in this podcast. Thanks for answering tough questions that I really am genuinely helped by with your answer. Very, 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 very thankful for it. Brian, th- thank you. Thank you for helping guide our community through this. Honestly, it, it makes a big difference and um, keep doing what you're doing too. All right, boys and girls, you heard it. This concludes another episode of The Aggressive Life. Hey, you know, if you like what you're hearing here, why don't you tell somebody else about it? Share this episode with them, and we'll be back next week with, I don't even know what next week. We're making it up every week as we go along. We'll see you next week on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. 
Progressive Life with Brian Tome, the production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.